0: We're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2. If you're using one of our Bibles, uh, it's page 851. We have Bibles on all these tables and the, the bar over here and these tables back here. If you don't have your own Bible, feel free to grab one of those. We'd love for you to use it. We'll be on page 851. Um, and we're going to be looking at another passage as well, but we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, isn't, it, isn't it true that there are few things in this world that are as, po- as powerful and compelling as visible transformation. That, that when we see something change, when we see uh, something or someone go through the process of change and transformation, it, it's compelling to us, it moves us, it convinces us that there's something powerful that has happened because we can see the transformation. You know, I think we see this so much in reality TV, right? Um, I don't know how many of you have ever watched the show Biggest Loser. But on Biggest Loser, it's like there's these people that are suffering from extreme obesity and being overweight, and they come on this show, and they have these physical trainers that help them with their diet, and they exercise, and they work out. And the climactic point of this show is always at the end of the season when they do what they call the reveal. You guys know about the reveal. It's where they show you a picture of a person, the way they looked when they came on the show. And then it's like this piece of paper that has this printout of them, and then through it walks this transformed human being who has usually lost like 100, 150 or 200 pounds and everybody just like, whoa, you can't believe it. How did that person turn into that person? It's incredible. And when we see this before and after, we love before and after pictures because before and after pictures really convince us of the transformation that has taken place. And so we, th- we see this before picture of this person when they came on the show at the beginning of the season of The Biggest Loser. And then we see this after image of them and what has happened in their life. And it, it gives us full confidence in whatever it was that was at work in their life to change them. And so any of us who want to get fit, man, we'll listen to Jillian. We'll listen to anything she tells us to do because, man, if she can do that, if she can work that kind of miracle in someone's life, Jillian's one of the trainers on Biggest Loser. We will, we'll listen to her because look what she did in this person's life. It's not always just people, we see this, uh, we see this in things as well. I think the other night I was going to a friend's house and um, I'd never been there before, so I typed in the address on Google Maps and I'm on my phone, I'm looking at it and this picture of their house pops up and I'm like, whoa, is that where they live? Like <laughs> it was like this like dilapidated old little house overgrown with weeds and trees. And when I pulled up to their house, I'm like, whoa, it was a totally different house. I'm like, man, I need to find out who did this to this house because they're very good at what they do. That when we see a before and after, it convinces us that something powerful has been at work. Something that has great power has been at work in their life or in this thing to bring about this kind of change. You know, I think this, this, this power in the before and after, we see this in the work of God as well. See, I think God is at work in the world all around us. And I think there are few things that can attest to his power, to his realness, to his goodness as the testimony of a changed life, a person who who has been changed and completely transformed. There's very few things that, that can attest and testify to his power like that. I think a changed life is perhaps the most significant and the most powerful testimony to the activity of God within a group of people or within a person in their life. Today, we're continuing in our Everyday Discipleship series, but we're kind of in the third um, of a part of that series that is talking about how we as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, how we get to share with the world about the good news of God, the good news of His work through Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb. Two weeks ago, we looked at how we are to share through speaking the importance of talking about what we witness God doing in our midst, as we seek to follow Him. And then last week, we looked at sharing through our suffering, how even as we walk through suffering, keeping our eyes on Jesus, we get to be a witness to the world about His goodness and His grace. And this week, we're we're going to look at how our very lives are the way that we share. How we live, who we are, testifies and shares with the world an immense amount about the God that we follow and the God who we say is at work in our midst. So let's look in in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. We're just going to be looking at these two verses in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Uh, Peter was one of Jesus' original disciples, one of the 12, Uh, and he became one of Jesus' apostles, which meant he's one of the ones that Jesus sent out, and he was a pioneer in the early church. Uh, He was the first one to kind of plant a church in Jerusalem. He was the first one to bring the good news of Jesus to Gentile believers, to people who weren't of the Jewish faith. And in this letter, Peter is writing to uh, Gentile believers, people who aren't uh, necessarily have their background in Judaism, but they have come to know Jesus in an hour trying to live for him. And this is what Peter is going to say to them in verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord out of First Peter chapter 2. Um, you know, I, I think what we see Peter here doing is he's gonna set up this beautiful before and after. This beautiful before and after of God's work and his people. And he starts this by speaking words of identity over God's people. And we could spend, really, we could build a whole series off of these four pieces of identity that Peter gives his readers. But we're just going to unpack it really quickly. You know, he says four things. He says, listen, he looks at, at these people who are believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus. And he says, listen, you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. In other words, listen, you matter to God. We, as God's people, we matter to him. He he chose us. He chose to bring about his saving work into the world, in us. And he chooses to carry it out within us and through us. You are chosen people. He says you are a royal priesthood. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, we have spiritual significance in this world. You think about what a, a priesthood does. A, a priest does is they are, they are this intermediary between the divine and, and the, the secular, the divine and, and humanity. And he says, listen, you as God's people, you are this royal priesthood. You have spiritual significance in this world as the ones who point the world to God and his divine work amongst us. He says, you are a holy nation, I love this because what he's saying is, listen, you are, we have this ethnic identity. We have this citizenship that goes beyond just the country that we live in here on earth or our ethnic background. He says, you have this ethnicity and this citizenship that is not of this world, but it is set apart while still being in this world. So you are a holy nation. You have this united identity as, as, as a nation of God's people. And then finally, he says, You are God's special possession. In other words, listen, God loves you. He not just loves you, but he cherishes you. I mean, he just adores you. You are his special possession. He longs for you. And so, Peter speaks these four identifying things, these four identity statements over his readers. But what grabbed me the most as I read through this, w- this week wasn't necessarily the identity that Peter is speaking over these believers, it's kind of the purpose that he says we are given this identity for. He follows up laying, hey, you are God's chosen people, you are a holy nation, you are, you are a royal priesthood, and then look what he says the reason right after he had, he says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, listen, you are chosen, you are a holy nation, you are a priesthood, and the reason that God is bestowing this identity upon you is so that you can declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His glorious light. I think what Peter is doing is he's connecting these these Gentile believers with the broader story that God has been telling from the very beginning. See, when you read through the Old Testament, over and over again, you'll find these different places where, where the writers of the Old Testament will use the same language or the Lord will use the same language about why he's doing what he's doing. I think got significant places in Isaiah 43, the, the chapter that Will referenced uh, before worship this morning. See, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21, God refers to Israel. He says, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. See, throughout the story of God, God is working in the Israelites, not so that the world will praise Israel. He doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna call a people and set them aside in the Old Testament so that the world will look at them and see how great they are. He says, no, I'm choosing you as my people. I'm gonna set you aside so that the world will know of my goodness, so that the world will know of my glory, so that the world will know that there is a God at work in the people of Israel. God sets aside Israel for the praise of his glory. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, you see that this is what God has been doing from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. It says the earth was formless and empty. It was void and there was darkness. In other words, there was no order at all. It was total chaos. There were no seasons. There was no lunar cycle. There, There was nothing marking day from night. It was just chaos. There was nothing distinguishing land from sea. It was total madness. And God speaks into it and brings order and beauty and then the pinnacle of his creation in verse 26, 27 and 28 of Genesis chapter one, he creates humanity. And he says, let us make man in our image. And so God creates man in his image, male and female. He creates them in the image of God. He created them. And he puts his image upon them. This is the image of the glory of God, the image of God's goodness. He puts it on humanity. And then in the very next verse, it says, And God blessed them. And he said, Be fruitful and multiply. What was their purpose from the very beginning? It was to take this image of God, the image of his goodness the image of his glory, the image of his kindness. And it was to multiply that and to fill the earth with the praises of the glory and the goodness of God. This is what humanity was made for, is what we were created for. And this is why God is at work and his people and Peter is writing to these Gentile believers. He says, don't you see? He says, you are a part of this story, this beautiful, big, full, complete story in the history of the world that God has been weaving from the very beginning that you are a part of God moving through humanity so that the world can see that he is good and that he is glorious. And he's saying that those of us who follow Jesus, we are set apart and we are called for this same purpose today. We are continuing in the role that God has set us apart to do, which is praising him and filling the world with praise for his goodness and his perfection and his kindness. And then what Peter does next is he goes into this idea of the before and after. Remember, we talked about how compelling a before and after photo is. So Peter goes on. He gives him this identity. He says, this is why you've been given this identity. And then he gives him this before and after picture. He says, listen, in verse 10, once, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. He says, listen, once before. Before you were not a people, before you had nothing in common, there was nothing linking you together. Those of us sitting in this room with the rest of the followers of Jesus around the world before the act of God in our midst, there was nothing that really bound us together. We were a bunch of of individuals isolated from one another, usually pursuing our own self-interest. He says, but now you are the people of God. You've been given this common identity so that we can come in a place like this. And we can know that no matter the differences in our backgrounds, the differences in our ethnicities, the difference in our socioeconomic status, no matter what differences there are among us, that we are joined together under the identity of God, that he has made us a family, a nation, a people. And we share that in common with believers all over the world. He says before, the before picture, isolated individuals trying to make sense of life on their own, the after picture, is this picture of God's family doing life with grace with one another. And he says, he does another before and after. He says, listen, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this before picture is a picture of humanity that has not yet received the mercy of God, the kindness of God in our midst. And the language here, the original tense in the Greek language, they're not all that important, but what it implies what it implies is before the before picture is this picture of a long-lasting like, effort and striving and striving and striving, trying to attain something on our own. He's saying it's this past attempt to obtain mercy for ourselves. Before, you had not attained mercy. You had not received mercy. And then the after picture. It's not a picture of a bunch of people that have earned mercy for themselves, but it is a picture of some people who have received mercy mercy from the good and merciful and kind God he says once you tried for yourself but now you have received one time past tense focus you have received mercy it has been done you've been given it it's been given to you you've been given the mercy and the kindness of God this before and after picture is so important because what Peter is doing, he's leading up to this place where he is gonna urge these Gentile believers to be careful about the way that they live. But it's so significant that he does the before and after before he gets to this idea of telling them how to live. Because Peter is not saying, okay, listen, listen, you need to live a certain way. You need to resist sin that wage, wages war against your soul. That's the language he uses in verse 11. He doesn't say, listen, resist sin that wages war against your soul so that you can receive mercy. And if you will resist this sin, if you will live just right, if you will get your life together, then God will be kind and he will give you his mercy. This is not at all the message that Peter is trying to communicate. No, he says, listen, now now that you are the people of God, now that you have received mercy, live into that. You You are God's people. He has done this among you already. He has poured out his mercy on you already. His his, his never-ending, endless mercy continues to wash over you. Live into that. Because you, living into the mercy that is already being poured out on you, will result in God being praised in the world and opening door for more of his mercy to be poured out on others who have not found it yet. You see, the way that we live is God's people. The way that we live as followers of Jesus, the recipients of His mercy, it really matters. It really matters. If humanity without the mercy of God is the before picture, if humanity without Christ is the before picture, then we as followers of Jesus are the after picture. If humanity without Jesus is the before, then we, God's people, followers of Christ, we are the after picture of God's transformation. And so that's why in verse 11, Peter is going to go on to say, listen, now that you've received this mercy, I urge you, watch the way that you live among those who don't know the mercy yet. Watch how you live. Watch out for sin because it is waging war against your soul. Peter had a contemporary, a guy by the name of Paul. Paul was another apostle of Jesus. He was perhaps the greatest missionary among Gentile believers in the first century. And Paul wrote a lot of letters to the people that he was taking the gospel to. And I think he gives us this really beautiful and detailed picture of the before and the after. The before of God's mercy and the after of God's mercy. The the before of the cross of Jesus and the after the cross of Jesus. The before the pouring out of God's spirit and the after the pouring out of God's spirit. And we see this in Galatians chapter five. If you have one of our Bibles, this is page 813. I just encourage you to turn there now Galatians chapter 5. It's page 813 in our Bibles. We're going to look at verse 16 to to 25. And in, in these verses, we're going to see Paul painting this picture of the before. Humanity before the mercies of God and humanity after the mercies of God. Look what he writes in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Let's just pause right there for a minute. We hear Paul echoing Peter's language. He's saying, listen, you have, you've received mercy. Part of the mercy that God gives us is that when we step into relationship with him through Jesus, we receive his Holy Spirit This this mysterious thing happens where the God of the universe literally comes to live within us. And he's saying, listen, once you receive this spirit, spirit, keep in step with this spirit, because if you don't, you're still in the flesh. Even though the spirit lives in us, we still are existing in this world, and so there's this conflict, what Peter calls this war being raged against our soul. Paul refers to it as the flesh being in conflict with the spirit, and he says, watch out for it. Watch out for it. You can't just do as you wish. If you're followers of Jesus, you can't just live however you want and expect the Spirit of God to feel at home in you. He says, watch how you live. It's important because you have received the mercy of God and you will continue to receive the mercy of God, but there is a battle that must be fought. And then he goes on to unpack, he gives us this detailed picture of the before. And this is verses 19 through 21. Peter I mean, Paul is going to refer to this as the acts of the flesh." And I think it's him painting a picture of humanity before the mercy of God, before the Spirit of God has come to live in us in verse 19. He says, "Listen, the acts of the flesh are obvious. sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think what Paul is getting at here is listen, we we are we are sexual beings, we are spiritual beings, and we are relational beings. He's saying that those who have received the mercy of God, those who are who are indwelt with the Spirit of God, he says, Listen, your sexuality matters. Your sexuality matters because it says something about the one who is living in you. It it says something about the one who has poured his mercy out upon you. It says something about the one who is working to change you. And so Paul talks about sexual immorality and he, he talks about impurity and he talks about debauchery and he's just saying, listen, people of God. Your sexuality, what you do with your sexuality matters, and if you're living outside of what God has condoned as the sexual uh, relationship, that, that, that is between a man and a woman who are covenanted with one another, who have given themselves completely one, to one another, never to be torn apart, if it's outside of that, then it doesn't speak well of the spirit that lives within you. Paul gets more detailed in another one of his letters. He says, listen, if you are involved in any type of sexual immorality, you are joining the Spirit of God within you into a union with another person because sex brings two people into one flesh. He says, when you engage in sexual immorality as as a child of God, as, as someone who follows Jesus, you are forcing the Holy Spirit in you into a union that he wants nothing to do with. So he says, listen, your sexuality matters. He says, your spiritual, your spirituality matters. And Paul talks about idolatry and witchcraft. I think, you know, there are so many spiritual options for us in the world today. Even in our city in Nashville, in the middle of the Bible Belt, there are so many options for spirituality. And the world will tell you that it's okay to treat spirituality like a smorgasbord or a buffet, that you take a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, it's okay. And what Paul is saying, no, your spirituality really matters. Because God has been at work in you. He's poured out his mercy on you. He's put his spirit in you. Give yourself completely just to him. Pursue him and him alone. And then he says, listen, you are relational beings. The way that you treat one another really matters. Remember, you are God's people. You are his chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He says, the way you treat each other matters. And so he goes through and talks about things like jealousy and conflict and dissension In other places, he talks about gossip and hatred and fits of rage. He says, listen, this this is not a picture of God's mercy at work. The way that you treat one another really, really matters. It matters because it says something about the one who is at work amongst us. And so Paul gives us this picture of the before. And I want you to notice that his before picture, he kind of gives us a sketch of all these outward behaviors, these things on the outside that are acts of the flesh, things that can be seen. And then he's gonna move in, in verse 22, and he gives us the after picture. And listen to the way he describes the after. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such things as these, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I love what Paul does here because he takes this list of external behaviors and he says, this is the before. And he doesn't follow it up with the after picture of a list of external behaviors. He doesn't say, hey, listen, if the before is all these outward things that you do that aren't in line with the Spirit... The after picture is you get your act together and you show up to church every Sunday. The fruit of the Spirit is showing up to church every single Sunday. The fruit of the Spirit is reading my Bible every morning. The fruit of the Spirit is making sure I pray before every meal. The fruit of the Spirit is that I say God bless you to every person that I meet. No, like Paul doesn't give us this external list of behaviors and say that's the after picture. He says, it's as if he's saying, look, the after picture, the after picture is this x-ray of the human heart He x-rays the human heart and he shows the changed life by what's happening from within. He says, listen, God's not interested in you trying to get your life together for him. He doesn't need you to work harder in order to make yourself look better. What he's gonna do is he's gonna put a brand new heart within you. Like he's gonna put his Holy Spirit within you and his Holy Spirit is gonna produce this beautiful fruit within you. And Whereas the before picture was a picture of someone that was consumed with themselves in their own needs, and their own desires. He says, listen, the after picture is a person that is consumed with the love of God, a person that is consumed with this agape love, this this kind of love that is willing to sacrifice self for the better of another. He says, listen, if the before picture is someone who is just chasing after any kind of spirituality that suits their needs, he says, the after picture is this person who has this deep sense of faithfulness within within their heart. A sense of faithfulness to the one true God who showed his love at a cross and an empty tomb. He says, listen, if the, if the before picture is this reliant on external circumstances in order to be happy, having to always get my way, having to manipulate situations to always make things go well for me, that's the before picture. He says, no, the after, the after picture is this person who despite what's happening on the outside can somehow have peace. Despite the chaos in their life, they can have peace about them despite what's going on around them that may not make them feel happy, they have this deep sense of joy about them. See, so the change that God longs to do in us is not something of us managing our behaviors. The change long God longs to do with us is something that is internal, The before and after of God at work is the before is this picture of humanity striving to do what's best for them. And the after is this picture of God coming down and revealing through his son, Jesus, what he knows is best because he made us and he comes and lives in our hearts and he changes us from the inside. And as the inside changes, the outside begins to change with it. This is the work of God amongst us. See, I I think often we think when we start talking like this, we start talking like, hey, a changed life is a picture of God's power I think sometimes we think that we need some sort of radical conversion experience in order for our lives to testify to God's greatness. And here's the thing, radical conversion experiences, they do speak to God's greatness. The before and after of an individual life that was far from God and then comes to know God and everything that was wrong with that life before kind of falling in line. Like, this is an amazing picture. I have a friend of mine right now that's going through it. He became a Christian very recently. And before he had a life that was marked with temper tantrums and outbursts and anger, And now it's like I'm watching him like effortlessly love the people who used to make him mad all the time. Like laying down his life for them. Was like, man, this before and after picture in him is amazing. But I think one of the most amazing things is that you don't have to have this amazing radical conversion. There's many of you in this room that grew up in the church. And if you're like me, I mean, I grew up going to church and I remember as a teenager, even in college, like sitting and I would hear people giving their testimony and it was someone who had this amazing story of where they were selling drugs to kids in schools, you know, and then all of a sudden God gets a hold of them and now they're like these amazing missionaries taking the gospel everywhere and I'm like, oh, I'll never have a story like that. But what Peter, in 1 Peter, is saying to the people of God, what he's saying to us is, listen, the before and after picture is much bigger than a singular life changed by God. He's saying this is more than your life or my life. This is about our life. It's about our lives. The way that we do life together, see the before and after of God's work, is, that it is all around us. You see the before picture, we see it everywhere that we look. The before picture of God's glory, before he was at work and pouring out mercy is at work all around us. It is the dark and bleak backdrop of the world at large. It is the pain and the sorrow and the hurt. It is the loneliness and the isolation. It is all of these things that we see at work in the world around us and a humanity that does not know the mercy and the grace of Jesus. This is the before picture. And the after picture is the people of God. The after picture is us. This is why Peter says, listen, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. This is why Paul says, keep in step with the spirit. It's not because God longs to alter your behavior. It's because he longs for you to be his people. He longs for you to be the after of his amazing before and after transformation. You see, we, when we believe in God's transforming power in us, we become that after picture We become like flecks of white against an all black background. We become these flickers of light in the midst of darkness, illuminating what our God is capable of. And so, Peter in chapter two is trying to say, Listen, you, you are God's reveal moment. You are God's reveal moment. Everyone can see the before at work all around them, but you, the people of God, God's chosen ones, the holy nation, you are his great reveal moment where he reveals the glory he is capable of. And so it's so important. The way that we live matters. Ethos, the way that we live matters because the way that we live, it communicates something about the one who is at work in us, Humanity in all its brokenness, its isolation, its striving, its reliance on self, it's looking for hope, and God is putting us on display to show what he wants to do to redeem it. If you're not a believer, you're here this morning and you're going, man, if the church is the hope of the world, then, and I understand that, I get that. I think it's why it's so important for those of us who are believers. I hope you see, like, this is why it's so important for us to live into this. Because I promise you, the world is looking at the church and they are making judgments on what God is like based on the way that we treat them, the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we handle our sexuality, our spirituality, and our relationality. The world is making judgments on God when they look at us. For some of us who are followers of Jesus, I think it's hard for us to believe that we are God's reveal moment. We look at our lives and we're like, ah, If I'm I'm God's reveal moment, like, look at my life. I can't can't hold my temper. I I can't get my life under discipline. I can't practice self-control. Look at these fruits of the Spirit. They seem so far out of reach. If I'm God's reveal moment for God's kingdom, then the kingdom might be in trouble. I think one of the reasons we have a hard time believing that we are God's reveal moment is because we haven't fully come to understand the power of the presence of the Spirit within us. We underestimate the power of of God living in us. We think that in order for us to be the reveal moment, that we have to go out and do all these wonderful things, or we have to radically somehow get our life together overnight in order for us to be a light post or a signpost to God. But the moment you step into relationship with Jesus, the moment you say, "God, I, I want you. I want more of you." His promise is that He puts His Holy Spirit in you. He, he, The spirit of God is alive in you and in me. And we cannot underestimate the power of the spirit of God at work in a human being. I don't really know how to even explain this. I've experienced it in my life. And and the things I'm going to share right now, it's not me patting myself on the back, I promise you. But I've had these moments in my life where people have come to me and When I lived in Vancouver as a church planner, I I signed up to volunteer at this place and I was actually one of the worst volunteers. Like I I never got all of my hours that I was supposed to get each month. I wouldn't show up for board meetings. And then, you know, I I certainly was not perfect in my private life. I would go home and I'd have arguments with my wife. I was selfish and short-tempered. I still struggled with lust. I would see a woman and thoughts would go through my mind that I knew weren't in line with what God wanted me to think. And yet in the middle of all of this, I remember just being blown away because there were certain people in my life that would come to my wife and I, and and literally, these are the words they would say. They would say, I've never met anyone quite like you. I remember just being like, what? Are you serious? Have you watched me? Have you watched the way that I live? Have you watched the way I lose my temper with my wife and my kids? What they were seeing was not me. And I said this to them said, so listen, what you see that it draws you to me, it is not me in me, it is the Spirit of God in me. You see, Paul says we are the aroma of Christ in the world. We have to believe that God is at work in us and that His Spirit makes us stand out. We are like a flicker of light in a dark world. And it is not about you being absolutely perfect and having your life together, but your life matters. The way that you live The way you handle your life matters because it communicates something about the God who is at work in you. How do we live into this? You know, two weeks ago we said, hey, we share by speaking. That was really easy. It's like, hey, we need to go out and and speak. We need to not be afraid. We need to have courage. Last week we talked about, hey, share by walking through suffering. And so if we're in the middle of pain, we can worship. We can testify to God's goodness. How, How do we lean into this? This picture of us being the reveal moment of God's glory It's so important for us in how we understand sanctification, how we understand how we are being changed to look more and more like God. And here's practically how I think we live this out, even this morning. First is this, I think there are some, I know, there are some of you in here who, who, you still haven't really accepted fully this idea of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. You haven't accepted fully the idea that the Son of God died on a cross for you so that you could have mercy. And that the Son of God rose from the grave, alive, very much alive. If You've never known the joy you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe. God, I believe. I want your mercy. Come and talk with us at the respond banner. Talk with your friend who you came with that knows Jesus and say, I think I need that mercy. I think I want to know it. And we will pray with you. We can baptize you. We can introduce you and help you see the ma- marvelous work of the Spirit at work in a life that is open to His work. And this is how you step towards being God's reveal moment to the world, to the power of change that He offers. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have to keep leaning into His mercy. We have to keep leaning into His mercy. I fully believe, I I really believe that this morning, the Holy Spirit is here amongst us, and I think the Holy Spirit is going to convict some of us of the places where we have not been fully living into God's reveal moment in the world. There's places in our life, either our sexuality or spirituality or our relationality, that we have not been living into what God wants for us. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to convict some of us this morning. And here's what's amazing is that us leaning into that conviction, our sanctification, our being made perfect in God's sight is an act of mission. Isn't that amazing? that when we will lean into God's mercy, it is an act of mission because us leaning into God's mercy helps him continue to do the thing that he wants to do in us. And that becomes God's reveal moment to the world around us. And here's the thing, on this journey of sanctification, you're gonna hear two voices. One of the voices is the voice of our enemy. And if you are worshiping this morning, if you're reflecting on this and responding this morning and you hear a voice that comes into your heart, into your head and it starts speaking words of condemnation, that is not the voice of our God. That is not the voice of Jesus. You see, the voice of our enemy, the devil, he comes in with words of condemnation, and he longs for you to look at the sin in your life, the places where you're not in line with God's glory, and go, look, you never received God's mercy. If you ever had, you wouldn't be living this way. See, you are beyond hope. You are beyond reach. God cannot save you. God can't do it. This is the voice of the enemy. Do not pay attention to it. This is what Peter's talking about when he says it's waging war on our soul. The voice of the enemy comes in with condemnation, and if you feel shame or guilt, if you feel these things that make you wanna lower your head and walk out of here like you're not good enough, like God doesn't love you, that he never could love you, this is not the voice of God in your life. This is the voice of our enemy. It's so important that we learn to tell the difference because if we give in to this voice that tells us that we never receive God's mercy, that his mercy is not big enough for us, then we paint an inaccurate picture of the God of glory and what he's capable of doing in our lives. Instead, the world looks at us and they think Christianity is just this empty religion of following a God that is constantly telling us we're not good enough. It's a shame-inducing faith where we are browbeaten and constantly condemned and told we better get our act together or else this is not a picture of the gospel. This is not a picture of the good news of Jesus. So pay attention to the voice you hear because the voice of the Spirit is very different than the voice of the enemy. The voice of the Spirit will bring conviction. And where condemnation leads to shame and guilt and, a, and a hanging your head low, the voice of the Spirit brings conviction. And conviction, conviction leads to confession. Confession leads to repentance. Repentance leads to just more and more mercy being poured out on you. This is why a writer in the Old Testament says, listen, the mercies of God are new every morning. They're new every morning. He doesn't run out of mercy for you. You have received his mercy and he has more for you. He wants to keep pouring out his mercy and his grace and his kindness upon you. But what we have to do is listen to the voice of the spirit. And when he begins to convict us of the places where we are not living in line with the way God wants us to live, we have to hear that. And we step into it, not with our head hung low, but with our eyes fixed on our father that has mercy upon mercy upon mercy for us. And He wants to transform you because He loves you. And He wants to transform you because He loves the rest of the world and He wants the rest of the world to see Him through you. So this morning what we're gonna do is, we're gonna do what we always do. We're gonna worship. We're gonna commune with one another and commune with Christ. We have, we have bread and cups on the bar and on the table. We're gonna come together, we're gonna take this bread, we're gonna take this cup, and we're gonna remember that Jesus poured out His mercy that his sacrifice at the cross was sufficient. As the Hebrews writer says, listen, by one sacrifice he has made you perfect as you are continually being made holy. And so we're gonna come looking Jesus in the eye, full of hope, over communion with one another, and as the Holy Spirit convicts you of whatever sin may be in your life, don't hang your head in shame, but keep your eyes on Jesus and let's just confess. Let's just confess to one another. If you don't have anyone to confess to, we'll be at the respond banner. Like we would love to pray with you. And I promise when you come to confess sin to us, you're not gonna get the look of condemnation. You're gonna get the look of hope because we know the God who is able to give mercy every single day brand new. So let's worship. Let's commune. And let's thank God for the mercy that he's poured out on us and that he will continue to pour out on us. And let's be the beautiful before and after picture that God wants to show the world. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, we know that we need you. Lord, I I know because I know in myself, I I know what it's like to be human. I know what it's like to live in the flesh and yet be full of your spirit. And I know this battle. We all know this battle that, that is raging within us, Father, but we believe in your spirit. We believe that your spirit is stronger. Your spirit is better. So, Lord, this morning, would you speak to us by the power of your Spirit, those of us who are your followers, would you come and convict us of sin? Convict us of the place where we are not being an accurate depiction of your work in the world. And Lord, for those of us in the room that don't know you yet, Lord, would you come and convict them of your mercy? Convict, Lord, show us your goodness. And this morning, Father, as we worship, would you move in our midst that as we leave here, we would have a just a flame inside of our hearts to be the beautiful picture of your redemption in the world. We love you, Lord. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.